It's What's Next. He's Peter Buffett. I'm Jimmy Buff. And on the show today, um, two women who are very powerful and important in your life are going to join us. Absolutely. This is very exciting. This is a new <laughs> frontier uh, in the What's Next episodes. Uh, we are going to be joined by my wife, Jennifer Buffett, and we're going to be joined by Eve Ensler, uh, who is new to the area as well. So she'll be uh, live with us in the studio. What's next with Peter Buffett? I'm Jimmy Buff, and joining us on this episode is the co-president of the Novo Foundation, co-president with you, Peter, your wife, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. How are you doing? I'm great. Mm-hmm. So um, in uh, splitting up the, the title of president when the Nova Foundation mm-hmm. started, mm-hmm. Did, you, did, you, uh, did it come co-president right away? Or? It didn't actually. Originally, Jennifer was the president, and uh-huh. that was that. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was about time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah we uh, were co-chairmen, which we still are, of the board. There's just a very small board. Um, but yeah, Jennifer was president, and I was. Um, uh, what do they? What do they say? Uh, dishwasher and lackey, chief cook, and, chief and, cook and bottle, bottle washer. Yeah, that's good. A, well, that's yeah. a fair title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, the Novo Foundation. Um, let's give people an, an idea what it's about. Um, who are just hearing about it for the first time. Well, um, let's see. We can maybe split that up as yeah, co-president. Absolutely. Do you want to start, Jen? What's sure. Yeah, and I, wa- I was president, um, and we co-founded the organization in. 90, oh no, what am I saying? 2006. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had, I'd, we'd been working in philanthropy for several years before, but it was more my gig in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we were living. Um, I was much more in the community. Peter had a music studio and was composing music pretty much all the time for various uh, things. And um, so I stepped up and asked Peter to really join me in the remaking of the foundation in 2006. And he came up with the name Novo, which we thought was pretty brilliant, which means to change, alter, or invent. And our tagline is to create change because we really saw that um, foundation dollars could be a catalyst for change and that change was needed. So, yeah, then we... Uh, look at this co-president stuff, right? She starts, <laughs> I finish. Um, <laughs> so the first thing when my dad, because uh, we had a smaller uh, foundation, like Jennifer was saying, and, and she was really uh, doing the work of that for many years. When my dad did what I call the Big Bang in 2006, when he decided to give all his money away, essentially, and we were uh, the recipients of that, as well as my siblings and some others, uh, in the form of a foundation. Uh, we were not personally the recipients. We knew we had to really uh, take this to a whole nother level, a whole nother level of responsibility, uh, big opportunities. And so uh, Jennifer and I in 2006 uh, kind of holed up. Actually, we went to Mohonk. That's how we really got familiar with the area. We went to Mohonk to sit there with a colleague for uh, a few days and think about what is this going to be about? Who are we? What... um, reaches us to the depths of our souls and uh, what change do we think we can help bring into the world? And so, co-president, what was that? What did you? Yeah, what did you arrive at? And we wanted to build this together. I mean, our life before was really Peter had this um, 
wonderful career before we met in San Francisco as a, as a music composer and had a studio. And I sort of um, folded into his life unexpectedly when we met and sort of was of service to that and then out in the community with the philanthropy. But this is a real opportunity sort of to have a reset button on our life and our marriage and create something together in a really thoughtful way. And we wanted... Um, uh, to lead together, to have more equality in forming it, to really go in uh, asking big questions like, well, what if and how, and um, and lead together. So gender equality, actually, we realized was at the core of it, not just because of our marriage, but what we were seeing out in the world. And we were seeing that women and girls were so left out, left out of the economy, left out of um, power and authority and participation and decision making here in America, but definitely around the world. I did. I spent a lot of time as before Novo was forming and, and then us together when Novo was coming together to go where things, places where things had really fallen apart, like West Africa and Rwanda and you know, where there had been civil war or war and to kind of get a sense of how you rebuild, but also how things, systems have failed us and, and why. And we saw the, um, the imbalances in the genders really at the core of that. And so we put a big, um, one of our first flags in the ground was that we have to value and start to invest in and look at women and girls and what's happening with them. And they were being left out and huge victims of violence as well. And we can't move the world forward together in a co-creative way that has to do with partnership and sustainability and all the things that we care about and you do you to talk about every week um, if half the population is, is left out and, and victims of violence and all of these things that we saw. So we do that together in our relationship. We do that in our organization. It's a very democratic organization, we think, and non-hierarchical and and trying to be based on more um, feminine principles and, and things like that. So that's really at the core of Novo Foundation. You're coming up on 10 years of Novo Foundation. And what have the past 10 years been like since you've had that moment, you know, that led you to, okay, this is the focus? It's been eye-opening on so many levels because, as Jennifer said, it's we have to, you know, I, I say this and I always say it's sort of a well-worn phrase, but the be the change you want to see in the world is for real. You know, people don't really take that as seriously as I think we need to. So in our relationship, we had to look at uh, how the masculine and feminine tendencies worked and how they were sort of impressed upon us as young people in in our respective lives and how we ended up playing out gender roles uh, that the culture sort of impressed upon us uh, in in some real overt ways that we were able to look at and examine and shift uh, for both of us. Uh, but then once you get to, to the top layer of stuff, then you get into the deeper um again, sort of imprinting of culture. And it's really interesting because as we looked at our own relationship, we could see how it played out in the foundation itself and how, again, as Jen said, we became, uh, well, we always were really, but but even more so examined uh, hierarchy and dynamics of control. And then we look at that once we have what we consider to be a really f a family inside the foundation. Then we look at how the foundation works in the world and how the power dynamic of money and control and, and how grantees uh, often come to us and say, you guys are really different. You do not play the games that most foundations play. Uh, and again, these are not done purposely. They're done because they're 
baked into our system. And so the behavior change, again, happened first personally inside the foundation, uh, in the foundation world, the granting world. And then, of course, ultimately, you're taking you're taken to uh, the grantees themselves and, and more importantly, the people they serve. So you start to see the levels of violence and control and domination uh, and all these things at work in our society um, that we're not supposed to see, actually. That's what's so interesting. The, the foundation work gives you the opportunity if you choose to take it, and it's not an easy thing to do, but it gives you the opportunity to actually peek under the fabric of what everybody else says is economic growth, it's wonderful, it's capitalism, it's, um, you know, uh, all for one and one for all, and we're going to, you know, we're going to alleviate poverty by uh, getting everybody a job, and, you know, these various things, I'm being very simplistic, but the point is, once you look underneath that, you start to see uh, what we have lost uh, by the level of uh, colonizing thinking, domination, control, um, uh, and and it's all uh, in service of a sort of masculine impulse. Uh, and and what we lose is is the quality of the feminine that goes way beyond women and girls. It starts with them, but it goes way beyond that, uh, and. Uh, I don't even know what more to say. Mm. <laughs> I'm at a loss. I'm here talking and talking. My co-president probably can add. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm actually kind of curious about, um, you know, I was asking about the work of the foundation in the past 10 years that you've right. done. Um, but then something you were talking about, uh, I'm struck by the relationship that has changed between the two of you mm-hmm. as, as a right. couple, as a, right. someone in relationship. Um, did you have any idea, Jennifer, that that might happen? I mean, you've been <laughs> together for a long time, and, and now you're exploring um, ideas and things and working in a way maybe that you hadn't worked together before. And your relationships, that can get scary for people, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've been together almost 25 years uh-huh. and met sort of unexpectedly. So we, we met and fell in love in such a, somewhat of an unconscious relationship. We just said, we really, really like each other. We really want to be together. And so you do and you go. And it was so interesting because Nova was like right at the time when we really needed to remake our relationship and to ask these questions of ourselves and like question our roles and how we thought of ourselves, how we were showing up, what was working, what wasn't. And a lot in our relationship wasn't working because it was it was sort of not stereotypical but uh, you know I have to be really honest with myself like I didn't expect to go into such a feminine role of sort of service and letting him have more of the voice and more of the the power in our relationship in our life and I had really let that happen and it was I was exhausted I was depleted I didn't I'd lost my voice and it was time you know he wasn't happy either so we just we wanted to be together but it was time to really remake everything so it was really convenient actually that we had to we were doing all the soul searching and um, planning and introspection around what was Novo going to be? What was it going to be about? What were the founding principles? And what was the foundation of the foundation going to be like? At the same time, we were doing that for our marriage. And I remember doing um, some research about sort of feminine principles. And we've been thinking about, okay, we don't want to work in a vacuum. So what what have been the dominant stories going on in the world that Novo is working in to try to 
um, you know, alleviate in, alleviate injustice or poverty or look at address problems in the world. And we saw the world so out of balance. And we saw, like Peter said, these patriarchal sort of masculine forces um, really being dominant, whether you're ma male or female, but in the world, you know, very highly rational and intellectual at the expense of the heart of more balanced, when we put it in terms of masculine and feminine I had to go look up, well, what would be the feminine energies and principles and forces? I knew what femininity was, I thought, but those feminine principles. And so what I found was, and I also, we understood the masculine, right? Um, but the feminine principles that, that I discovered is that, you know, that, um, that you leave room for things. It's sort of like how you tend your garden. There has to be enough space for um, seeds to grow and you, you listen and you observe and, and you're flexible and you you pay attention to natural rhythms and there's there's um really has to do with nurturing but there are all this whole sort of things that have to do with being human i think not just a male or a female that were sort of left out of our life at the expense of the more like let's go there's the mountain let's go for it let's um let do 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 uh you know that that were making us tired and weren't working and so we need to re rebalance those things in ourselves first of all as men and women that it wasn't all do and think that we needed to feel more we needed to create more space inside ourselves and in our relationship and balance that out. And I remember at that time, actually, um, I called Peter PB, Peter Buffett is PB short, and um, or actually PB and J, which is sort of right. funny. like a That's us. Butter <laughs> and jelly sandwich or something. But, but I remember um, thinking so much like, if you keep doing... I gotta, I gotta stop because I'm exhausted and I think you are too. So I started calling him B so that he would be reminded every day that, you know, you gotta be as much as do. And that was really important. So it was just kind of mythic and amazing timing that we got to build a conscious relationship at a time where we were being super conscious about the kind of organization we were going to build. It's amazing because there are people listening who are in relationships for, for you know, long periods of time who are thinking, man, how fortuitous that you had this vehicle yeah. to oh, re-examine yeah. your relationship. Because a lot of people get stuck in that role and they never yeah. break out of it. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Or they destroy the relationship because of it. Yeah. Or yeah. they leave, you know, they yeah. leave the relationship and then find and themselves. Do it all it. over. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the, yeah, exactly. And, and I'll just say again, in our relationship, to really uh, be willing to look at it, first of all. I mean, I, I think that's true whether it's personal or the country or whatever, is if you aren't willing to look at your own behavior and say, okay, now wait a minute, uh, what? how am I contributing uh, to something here that, that could shift if I, I think about how I'm behaving in, in the relationship and realizing that it's not zero sum. So it's not me giving up something so Jen can have something, which I think is a big issue in a lot of, of what we're talking about. Again, whether it's in politics or, or business or relationships, realizing that actually it's around opening up self-reflection and realizing that one and one can be three uh, if you're willing to be vulnerable and open uh, and and look at your contributing behavior because the, the the way that the frame works now is that the I think the and again, we'll call it masculine and feminine because it's not really men and women, but the the impulse of ownership and control and domination, uh, is so finely woven now into the fabric of of this culture uh, that we don't even see it. 
and and that's what I was noticing about myself. You know, I consider myself a nice guy. I'm a good guy. I'm not, you know, I'm a well-meaning man, as some of our uh, friends call that aspect of, of guys. Um, but you're still sort of riding the wave of the cultural norm, which is to say, uh, I'm still the man, you know, I'm still the boss or whatever it might be. And it's like, no, 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 we are partners in this and every voice counts. The uh, work of, of Nova Foundation in these past years, um, can you give me, Jennifer, any, a concrete example of something that the foundation has done in the past 10 years, a program perhaps, uh, so yeah. people can get sort of their, well, I know that you've um, uh, just signed that lease with uh, New York State about for the um, uh, Women's Center down on the uh, west side of Manhattan, mm-hmm. which is a big thing. But um, in the past, like uh, in, in the recent past, when uh, a program that you've supported or something that can give people an idea of how the Nova Foundation works? Yeah, um- so we're really into long-term change. So there are programs and things that I can point to. Um, but we are investing for the long haul for a big change to move from these ideas of domination, exploitation, competition, these programs that have been running us to partnership and collaboration. So we've been thinking, so how do you do that? What does that look like? So first of all, we've been investing a ton in um, women and girls and women and girls' rights. So... That is happening daily around the world. In New York, we have um, different initiatives uh, around teen girls and girls of color um, to support them. And, you know, just with support, whether you're, you know, across the world or here in New York, when you start to really see, I say that everybody needs to be safe, seen and celebrated. Um, You know, when when girls feel safe or when kids feel safe, um, seen and celebrated, they can really thrive. Um, So we've been working with women and girls around the world a million programs, but also in um, eight plus districts, U.S. school districts in the United States, urban and rural areas um, to um, put a priority on not just the intellect and um, academics, but on the social and emotional well-being of children. So we, over the past um, five years or so, have been working with a cohort of school districts to do just that, to sort of balance out the academics with the school climate. Just like, you know, we know this about the workplace, that um, you have to feel good when you come in. You have to feel safe. You have to feel like you can thrive, that that you have you can grow in this. Kids need this at school as well. And a lot of kids are going, especially in inner city environments, are going to school and not feeling safe. They're going through the hardware, which is like you know, um, checking for guns or metal detectors versus what we call humanware, which is like going to homeroom and having a teacher acknowledge you and kids around you, everyone checking in saying, how are we doing today? So um, I would say that some of the, I mean, then there's more around our local economy work, but something tangible that I feel really proud of that we're seeing is that in these school districts we're working in, no matter whether the superintendents go or there's principal changeover, this is becoming something that's gaining a foothold and becoming important. And people are saying no matter all the changes and all the um, challenges that we have and all the things we have in front of us, that this is becoming sort of the underpinning component part that we will not give up. Because if we don't have this fundamental basis of um, having our kids feel safe, seen and celebrated and our teachers feel in the same way, like no one's going to learn anything. It's What's Next with Peter Buffett and also in the studio, the co-president of the Novo Foundation, Jennifer Buffett. And now joining us is the world famous Eve Ensler. Hi, Eve. Hi, good morning. You're world famous. <laughs> Whatever that means. Uh, so Eve, how did you, um, how did you uh, uh, meet up with Peter and Jennifer? I'm curious. 
I met them through our dear friend, Pat Mitchell, who is the connector of all human beings, I'm convinced. And um, she just kept saying, you have to meet these two amazing people. You have to meet these two amazing people. And I did. (laughs) And it was love at first sight. Exactly. And that was probably about, we were trying to figure it out seven or eight years ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah. 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 that's true. Yeah. Was the work of, that they were doing with the Nova Foundation a draw? Is that why that no, connection was made? No, 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 no. I actually, one of the first connections I have with them, I, I think Pat and uh, her husband Scott were getting married again. They get married all the time. And, um, <laughs> to each other. Yeah, to each other. Yeah, 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 they just yeah, yeah. remarry right. each other because yeah. I think they love parties so much. And, right. um, and I was actually heard Peter play his music. And we were organizing for um, a huge event in... Um, New Orleans, which was Vita the Tenth, which was this huge thing we did at the um, Superdome, where we basically turned the Superdome into a huge vagina and took it back and reclaimed it and really tried to do this kind of mammoth um, re-transformation of the energy of what had gone on there during Katrina. You know, the abandonment, the racism, the terrible things that went on in the Superdome. And, and we bought... Uh, all kinds of people from all over the world. We bought 1,500 women from the New Orleans diaspora backed, and we bought masseuses, and we bought yoga people. And, and for three days, they just gave love. It was just like the love. Yeah. It was like the love, the vagina love dome. And <laughs> right. and um, anyway, we were preparing for a big vagina monologues there for about twenty or 30,000 people. And I heard Peter play this amazing song, and I was like, you've got to come do that song. <laughs> um, and so that's really, that was one of our first connections. Yeah. And then Jennifer and I ended up going to Omega together. And I was like, oh my God, who is this woman? <laughs> and that was kind of the beginning of that. And the rest is history. Yeah, it's it's a great lesson uh, in saying, sure, okay, I'll do that. Because I had spent almost the entire summer preparing for this event, uh, this remarriage ceremony, because I had never uh, played the piano and sang at the same time, actually. <laughs> I had done it in the recording studio, but never actually done it at the same time. And uh, I was very nervous, and I played this song, and uh, Eve, who I didn't know, was there listening to me rehearse and said, you have to do this at this event. And I said, okay. So she threw me in front of 20,000 people (laughs) after me not even knowing I could do it at all. So, yeah, it was pretty extraordinary. (laughs) It was. It was a beautiful, beautiful night. The um, uh, juxtaposition of what you've been talking about for years and years, Eve, and what the Nova Foundation uh, is about then is just a bonus? Well, yeah, it's 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 been a big bonus in my life um, for many reasons. I mean, I think, obviously, um, anybody who supports your work, you are very grateful to. But that's really not why I love the Nova Foundation and Peter and Jen. Um, I love them because they're they're like-minded people. Like, we are in a... We think in a very similar transformational way. And I, you know, having been a person who's, you know, V-Day's almost 18 years old and OBR is almost four years old, you know, you know, when you raise money, um, it's, it's really not a fun activity, to be honest with you. And mainly because you're having to interface a lot of times with people who you don't share similar values with, you know, and... You have to twist yourself into all kinds of shapes sometimes. You know, I I never felt like I gave up my voice or my beliefs or my integrity, but it's it's a push. Uh, When I met Peter and Jen, it was like, oh, we're in this revolution together. We're in this paradigm shift together. We're working um, as a team, as as a unit, as a tribe. And that 
really shifted so much for me in in not only in the work I was doing, but it was like this feeling like, oh, it doesn't have to be hierarchical. It doesn't have to be top down. It doesn't have to be you have the money and we jump. And mm-hmm. it's like we're all in this together. And, and that's really what they're about. And I don't know any other people, and I know a lot of funders, who I can say that about. They are literally creating a new way of being here together, you know, and money's a bonus. Wow. <laughs> Jen? <laughs> mm, no, it's yeah. true. I mean, and from our um, vantage point, I mean, we did fall in love with you. and We did. We do share so much of this vision and this feeling that, that we have to end the violence in the world. We have to address the unbelievable trauma that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years and somehow, you know, get into our hearts and connect, reconnect and love and, and save ourselves, you know, and love this planet. Life is short. A few times around the sun, it's over, you know, like and. And we had all the resources, but we are only as good as our partners. And so um, it's so interesting to hear you say this because we just feel like we have good manners and we're showing up with <laughs> humility, which isn't that hard. It's pretty wonderful and openness. And we want to learn and grow and have amazing partners that are like, yes, this is possible, you know, because we really believe that that we're here um, with all the gifts that we have to change the world, whatever that is, whether that's, you know, you're a mom that's going to raise a great child or, or, you know, be part of your community or raise wonderful dogs or, you know, change, the, you know, be part of the, the revolution to end violence or shift the planet or, or an anarchist or whatever, however you do it, you know, this is the time. Um, so, yeah, we just have this sort of deep soul relationship and are, are trying to, I think, inspire others that, um, you know, it's possible. And I think we get the most inspiration from people and especially women um, who've been, seen the violence firsthand or on, on the front lines of that and are really speaking out and we need to be in solidarity with them. But I also think what Jen and Peter have is imagination, you know, and, and, and I think as an artist who's been doing this work for so many years, you know, um, you know, people, I just remember when we first started doing the vagina monologues as a tool for social change and as a way of ending violence against women, so many people were suspect, you know, like, well, we can't talk about vaginas and make that connection. And, you know, it's theater. And and I remember when I first bought One Billion Rising to Jen and Peter and they were like, oh, my God, that's such a great idea. Brilliant. Like people dancing <laughs> yeah. to end violence. <laughs> Now, there are a lot of other people who were like, you know, that question where they go, well, what does dancing do? You know, and I go, well, everything. I mean, I can't imagine what dancing doesn't do. Why don't you move your body and find out? You know, but but they never have any of those, you know, doubts or like they trust the people they're in solidarity with. They believe in the people they're in solidarity. So what that does as an activist and as an artist is it gives you enormous confidence to be bolder and be more radical and to push the edge and go further as opposed to going, oh, my God, you know, this is too much. This is too intense. This is too dramatic. This is too radical. And um, that's incredibly rare, incredibly rare. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to say that if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Let's give people an, an idea of One Billion Rising, which, as you mentioned, it's in its fourth year, right? You mm-hmm. you refer to it as um, uh, OBR now? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a shorthand to you, but to a lot of people, it's still not. Yes. And that number relates to an extraordinary thing. Tell people what that One Billion re- relates to. And first, I just want to give a shout out to all the people in Woodstock and Kingston and this amazing area. Oh, for, yeah. Elster, for rising, it, yeah. Elster, for rising these last three years you've been doing awesome risings and I get to see the videos and maybe I'll get to be here one year but um, you know when V-Day reached its 15th year 
our mission was to end violence against women and girls, not to contain it, not to build more shelters and hotlines, not to keep, you know, amping up all we do um, to support the women who have been abused. Although we know that's critical, the idea was to end it. And we got to 15 years, and obviously we had a lot of victories in V-Day and a lot of change and a lot, but there was still rampant violence, you know, as there is right now. And we, I, we were like, okay, what are we going to do now? We got to escalate this. We got to move this to the next level. And I had been obsessed for a long time with the UN and World Health Organization statistic that one out of three women on the planet will be beaten or raped, which is over a billion women. And by the way, I think that's an underestimate because I think when you really scrape it down, you will find that many more women than that. And if you haven't been violated yourself, you've been a witness to violence, you've been um, in an environment where you see the impact of violence on women around you, so it's terrorizing you and reframing you and repressing you in one way or another. And I was in um, Congo where I spent a lot of time because we have an amazing project um, called City of Joy with the women of Congo. And I was watching um, women dance in Congo and women are really powerful in Congo. And when they dance, uh, the world moves and shakes. And I just thought, oh my God, what if a billion women and all the men who love them rose and danced on the same day. What would happen energetically? Because I really believe a lot in energy. I believe energy is what begins to mobilize people into new formations, you know. And so we put out this call, you know, to all our networks, which were pretty extensive because the movement was 15 years old. And we said, you're invited to rise and dance on February 14th. And the, and the response was crazy. It was like, yes, yes, all over the world. People were like, we're rising. We're, and and I have to say that first year when we sat, in, in, and, and um, fortunately I was in Congo, so I had no internet, but other people got to watch it. When the world rose, it was astonishing. And I think looking back now um, over the last four years, what 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 that, what does dancing do? What what it does is it allows women to return to their bodies, it allows women to re-inhabit the, their really central energy. It creates community. It allows women to re-inhabit public space, which they've been exiled from once they've been abused. But what it does is it rides over a lot of dualities and a lot of divisions. And so, it's been amazing to see the kind of coalition building that's happened, because one billion rising is really just an energy. You know, it's like this big mother energy that you get to pull down and use wherever you are, and it's free, and it's it's it can go beyond corporations and defy corporations because it's energy, you know. And it's been amazing to see the movement go in the last four years from people dancing to people rising for justice. Last year, people rose for revolution. And to see the kind of impact it's having, whether it's passing laws, for example, in Gambia two weeks ago, where the activists there have been fighting to end female genital mutilation, and the president decreed that FGM was illegal two weeks ago, or whether it's looking at restaurant workers who have been rising to end sexual harassment because when, you know, um, waitresses rely on tips, they are much more vulnerable to harassment and to rise for a minimum wage, which they got last year, you know, or to see, you know, rickshaw drivers in India who were trained by radical feminists who were rising in India, and now they have little signs on the rickshaws that read, my religion is respecting women. I mean, I could literally sit here for days and talk about the things we have seen through the energetic, connective, unifying solidarity of dancing. And it, it's not logical, you know, which I love. I, I don't trust logic a lot of times, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. But, and, and also to look at 
the obvious um, attempts at putting an end to dancing. So dancing must be something. Otherwise, it wouldn't be outlawed. You wouldn't be able to not shoot Elvis from the hips down. Um, after the 50s, the hula hoop comes out to try and get people to move. There are so many examples of dancing being squashed and coming back again because there is power in that. And and it does reside specifically, I think, in the feminine. And I believe that power is very afraid of the uh, the the hugeness of, of what the feminine represents. It is our mother. It is nature. It is the life-giving force. And that is... Uh, a, a an uh, you know something to worship as opposed to squash uh, but power of course uh, wants to to control and dominate but and that's own. that's only because they don't know how good it feels exactly that gets back to what we were saying before this is not zero sum this idea that you have to give up something you know, to get this extraordinary return. No, you get the return and yourself at the same time. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm here to testify. <laughs> I Can I just say one other thing? I also think when you're thinking about women being abused and what is sexual violence, what is that tool for? What is the, the you know, it is the primary methodology of patriarchy, right? Like mm -hmm. if you rape women, if you destroy their vaginas, their sexuality, if you repress it, what you're essentially doing is repressing the single most powerful force in the world besides our great mother, who obviously we, we all mimic in, in, in what we do. And I think I think when women dance, what happens is they come back into their bodies. They come back into their vagina. They begin to feel just even the tip of how powerful they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't even know yet. We are so far away from women really fully being embodied and inhabited back in their bodies. But when that happens, the whole world's going to change. I, yep. I know that. Yep. And I think what are the mechanisms to get women back into their bodies? And dancing is a very powerful tool. It's an, it'll be an extraordinary shift um, from the masculine energy that dominates the world now to, the, to a feminine energy. I yep. mean, it just changes literally everything. Everything. Yeah. And it's ultimately the balance of the two that is the key, you know, because, again, we see so many women uh, trying to, to bring in their masculine energy to fit into the existing paradigm, and that's not it. Uh, it is definitely being in relationship, uh, being in partnership, uh, having those energies uh, dance together, you know, literally and figuratively. Right. It's that the, uh, you know, we've talked about it here, that, that lean in model, right? Right. Which is, you know, basically to be successful as a woman, you've got to be more like a man as opposed to being successful in your femininity, right? Regardless, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. I like the idea of moving out. But yeah. That's just me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, because it's the difference between reform, essentially trying to fit, fix, and and shape and change so it it kind of still fits in the current paradigm versus abandonment and saying no, actually we're going to go over here and we're going to do something different that's better. And I, no, I even just looking at the at COP twenty one, you know. And looking at all the, you know, resolutions, everything's fixing something that's dead, right? Yeah. What we've got to start doing in the deepest way is going to the root of things. Mm -hmm. You know, what's at the core of things? How do we get to the core of things? Because that's where the real paradigm shift is going to happen. And I think it's scary for people to really give up what they know. 
it's really scary. So what we have to keep doing, and that's why the imagination is so critical, is we have to imagine where we could go, what what what, what this could be. And I think sometimes I've been in dance, you know, in, in risings like in the Philippines or in Africa, and there's there's this kind of coming together of masses of people in this energetic exploration, excitation, where you go, oh, this is the energy that wants to be born. It's right here. It's right here. It wants to be born. And it, when it begins to get escalated enough, it will teach us what we need to do. Yeah. That's you know? exactly right. Yeah, there's just to be a letting go. But it's just like what Peter did in, I mean, Peter didn't talk this way 10 years ago. You know, we, we were in <laughs> like right. an ex, more of an exchange. It was rigid. There wasn't any room. And I think it's really frightening for people, but it's a great metaphor for our times. Like we need to sort of let go into the unknown. Terrifying. What if I can't dance? What if there is no world beyond this one? What if? You know, but there's that energy of, of spirit and that will come through. It won't be nothing. But it's... It is like I love the and it's become almost like trite, but the the metaphor of the caterpillar to the butterfly. The caterpillar has to start to go into that goo and disillusion phrase where it feels like it's dying and it's over and it fights, but it's going to become something it never dreamt of before and actually fly and be this amazing, colorful butterfly. I think that's exactly where we are, but we got to let go, folks. Yeah, and we have to be willing to die. You know, part of it is 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 I think we're also afraid of pain. You know. And I, I just was writing about pain all yesterday, and I was thinking about how emotions are fluid, right? They're fluid. They're, they're, they're liquid, right? But when you stop them, you change the, the uh, chemistry of feelings. They become hard. They become calcified. And then they become disease. They become violence. They become addictions. But when you go into the pain, it's like you're going into the river, Right, you're in the river of pain. The pain moves, and the pain moves, yeah. and you will get to the next place, and that will bring you to the next place. And I think this culture is death averse, pain averse, and and it's it's a it's it's a lie. You know, people are in enormous pain in this culture, enormous pain, but it's calcified, it's hardened, it's made us isolated, it's made us lonely, it's made us separate, it's made us addicted. To, mm-hmm. Whether it's consuming or drugs or alcohol or food or or starving yourself or whatever your particular addiction is, everybody's got one on some level, you to know. Avoid pain. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's to avoid pain rather than going. All right, let's go into it. Let's mm-hmm. go into the pain. What does it feel like in that pain? And then that will take you to the next thing. Yeah. She and, makes everything sound fun. <laughs> 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 and yeah. the thing of it is, of course, um, by avoiding the pain, you don't um, you don't avoid. It, it's still there. It doesn't go away. It's still there. It just comes back on you. So by going through it, you can perhaps re- resolve it in a much better way. As my yeah. old friend used to say, what you resist persists. You yeah. know, it, it's, it, it's, you're denying what's going on. I certainly learned that with cancer. You know, pretend you don't have something wrong with your body. Pretend you don't. The tumor doesn't go away. It just gets bigger, you know, and then one day you have an avocado inside you, you know, which is what happened to me. So it's like if we, and also if you ignore pain and you deny pain, You actually deny the people who are attached to the pain, the earth that is attached to the pain you're inflicting on it. You don't see the consequence of your actions. So you can keep inflicting more pain, you know. Those experiences that you have um, in the Congo or at a One Billion Rising event or at the Superdome, um, people have that once in their life and they're blown away by it. But you have them repeatedly. (laughs) (laughs) Vagina power. So you can can access that time and time and time and time again, that kind of energy. 
Well, I think it has to do with going into the pain. That's mm-hmm. what people don't understand. Like the pain, is, you know, look at volcanoes. I mean, it's pretty extreme, but like, and I would say that there's something going on the earth that feels kind of painful, right? There's this molten lava exploding. Mm-hmm. But inside that is also ecstasy, exaltation, connection, release, release, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the more willing you are to step up to the pain and, and not avoid it, the bigger and more alive you're, you are, you know? Yeah, and that's, I, I think we're seeing that writ large now with everything that's going on uh, in the geopolitical world in terms of even just uh, nation states and boundaries. You know, we put these false controls up around people and, and they they are suddenly stuck in something. <laughs> that was Eve Zipper. Um, <laughs> on her vest. On my on vest. Her vest. <laughs> yes, exactly. In case you were wondering. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but you put up false boundaries of whatever they may be in terms of expectations, uh, the way we educate our kids. I mean, it just goes on and on when you start to let the calendar, when you start to look at these grids that we have created to put people inside of, uh, it is a different way of stopping natural life force. And it comes in so many forms. And we're just used to them. We think that's the way of the world. And it is not at all. Well, I I can even say that, and I'm sure Jennifer will, will echo this in a more, you know, knowing way, but even looking at Peter's evolution over the last 10 years, you know, when I met Peter, he was in what Tony Porter calls like the man box. He was just in it, right? And I have watched him literally, like if you, if you saw one of those incredible Hulk things, you know, where the person <laughs> bursts out of their body, he's just broken out of the man box, you know? And I think witnessing that, you know, has for me, and I say this to him all the time, it's given me faith in men, which I have very little of. And, and, and only because I never see many men struggling for the liberation of women and for the liberation of their own consciousness. Of themselves, yeah. yeah. And to see somebody who is really engaged in that process wholeheartedly with his life and to see who he's become for me has been like, oh, it can't be done. You just have to have the desire to do it more than you have the desire to hold on to your privilege and power. Yeah, exactly. I mean, anybody that says, oh, people don't change. That's always the way it's been. You know, I know because I've experienced it. That is not true. And it's a lazy answer. Anybody that says that's just the way we've always been or people don't change uh, are doing it because they don't want to, basically. Or there are people, there are men listening right now who think, I'm, like you said earlier, right. I'm a pretty good guy for right. a guy. Right, yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> Emphasis on yeah. for a guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, and to shift that into, okay, but what am I doing every day that's perpetuating uh, the paradigm that we're inside now? And and again, it it starts at some obvious things, and it's not about just doing the dishes every, you know, it, it's, so, it's so much deeper than that. And that's what guys, I think, think too. It's like, well, you know, I'm listening to you, isn't that, a, you know, it's it and once you break through that and you start to see the very subtle but pervasive ways that that men and women behave inside this paradigm to keep it going uh, it's astounding and and it's much easier and way more fun then to start to chip away at that and shift behavior how does that um world look when when we when many men get to the place where um, peter is or um you you would like to see other men what does that world look like what is that well, I think, you know, I think one of the things that 
I, I've noticed witnessing Peter's evolution um, is that I think what men don't understand is that being in awe of women, cherishing women, being in service to the feminine is what gives you a life. Mm-hmm. And I think they've been taught the exact opposite, to dominate the feminine, to occupy the feminine, to rape the feminine, to mute the feminine, to shut it down, to make sure it never lives, gives you power. Well, it does give you power. It gives you power to dominate, occupy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and be violent. That's the kind of power it gives you. But when you literally witness and allow yourself to be in service to the feminine, what happens is your own vitality is is escalated. Your own life force is escalated. And your own vulnerability, which, by the way, is the central to your life force. And mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing now with One Billion Rising, which really moves me, is how many young men around the world are participating and leading One Billion Rising in a lot of different countries. And how it is their strength that is leading it. It's not that they're, it, it's, it's being in solidarity with women. It's knowing that there is this incredible, beautiful connective tissue between us with, which frees both of us, you know? And I think the fear of giving up privilege, the fear of giving up top-down status or being alpha dog or all that is a kind of um, sophomoric fear, to be honest. Yeah. It, you're, you're not getting what's after that with the potential for your life is so huge, and this is so tiny. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the Republican debate last night, and I was thinking, these are like high school boys. Mm-hmm. They're like high school boys who are, like, bullying each other and putting each other down. I'll and, be tougher and, than you and, are. And Will fighting be, to right. see who can kill the most people and right. the most – I'll carpet bomb. Well, yeah. you'll carpet bomb. What I'll do is I'll go in and I'll, you know, kill all the families of the ISIS members. You'll do that. Well, I'll – and, and you sit there going, is this real? Have we really devolved to this? And you, there, the, the, there are huge limitations on patriarchy. It ends up with violence and devastation. That is where patriarchy leads. We're here. We're yep. here. Right. Yep. And even the, um, when women on the stage feels compelled to participate in that. Oh, yes. Yeah. And not very well at yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doing her best, but very corporatized version of it, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. Um, you know, men have this whole uh, p- parts of their being that they don't just don't access. They'll go through their entire lives not accessing it. And it's an extraordinary, um, as Peter can attest to, when you unlock that, it's an extraordinary thing. Is that happening yeah. for you? It has. Yeah. You want to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps on the next show. We are, um, uh, we've had just another compelling hour of talk, and yeah. um, we're just about out of time. But I'd love to have a conversation with you for sure. And I will just say that that men, all men had it. You know, the, the, the problem, again, is culture. At four or five years old, it starts to get removed from us in various ways. So it's not as if it's not there. It's, it's very much alive. It just has to be rekindled. Uh, and and brought up to the surface. Right. And we're raising, you know, in my household, we're raising a boy who's almost seven. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing. There's no boy, girl, boy, toy, girl, toy. There's no, um, you know, when we go to the store, we don't look in the, you know, he whatever aisle, whatever catches his eye and he wants right. to play with, he can. Yep. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And, and you will never say to him, you're throwing like a girl. You know, that kind of stuff no, right. is in... in Unless you're celebrating it. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Exactly. Good point. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a runner and I'm consistently, it. you know, uh, women are consistently finishing in front of me and races and so there are times when i wish i ran like a girl yep there you go about it so (laughs) eve ensler peter buffett jennifer buffett thanks for another wonderful show 
It's What's Next with Peter Buffett, and you want to introduce... The song that, the song Eve, that he was talking about, uh, yeah, and that, that's that how we'll introduced end. us. It's a song called Can We Love? It was uh, originally written for my wife, Jennifer, and our relationship, and then it turned into an anthem uh, for maybe the whole world. Can we love in the time?